Hey, everybody. Welcome to CMO Conversations. I am Trisha Gelman, and I am the CMO of Drift. And this is our biweekly podcast series where I get together with other CMOs and marketing leaders to talk about the future of sales and marketing, the changes and transitions that we see happening to the marketing world. And there's tons going on in the marketing world right now as we see the coronavirus traveling around the world and really upending how marketers are driving their businesses. So I have Gonto here from Auth0. We're going to have a very interesting conversation about how we're driving our teams and what it is that we're doing to drive success for our companies. Very different companies, Drift and Auth0 with different buyers. But Gonto, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Auth0. Yeah, sure. So as you said, my name is Martin Gontovnikas, but everybody calls me Gonto. So I appreciate being called Gonto. I run the entire marketing team for Auth0. Um, Auth0 basically sells authentication and authorization as a service. So if you are building a custom application, you need to authentication for it. Whether you target end consumers and it's a B2C application, or whether you target business customers and it's a B2B application, you could use Auth0. As Trisha was saying, our target markets is both bottoms up from a developer side, but also like CTO, VP of engineering, et cetera, but more from the technical side of things more than anything else. Okay, so thanks for introducing yourself. I think we can have a great conversation here, which there's a lot of similarities, even though you are marketing to a totally different audience than Drift. And so I wanted to start out by talking about the fact that like, here we are, we're doing this video podcast and we're in Zoom. This is our life. We're like working from home. We might have some dogs barking in the background, so be prepared. For me, I work in the office most of the time and I travel to Boston, but for you, like your life for a long time has been remote. So like how have you been driving success with remote workforce? I think that with remote, you have to be very conscious about clarity, alignment, and what you want to do. And it's not just from the marketing perspective, but rather from the company perspective as well. We have a published calendar, for example, with a certain cadence of how we will set up the year. So we start, for example, first week of January, and we define the company priorities up to three at most. And then we define with the executive team what are going to be the OKRs or the things that we want to focus for that quarter. The week after that, we have a cascading effect where I meet with my marketing leadership team, sales does the same, etc. And they all plan, okay, what are the things that marketing wants to do? Which of those are going to help the company OKRs? And which are the things that we still believe we should do? The week after that, we have the same thing, but with my team leaders. So now the demand gen team will do that, product marketing, etc. And then from there, that's the plan of what we are going to execute during the rest of the quarter. And we have check-ins actually remote mid-quarter and then end of quarter to see progress on OKRs around all of the extended leadership team to see how we are doing. So that, I think, has been one of the things that helps us a lot with that. We also have a very big deck about what is the vision, the market vision that we see, the company strategy, and then some of the department plans. So it's very clear, like, what is the company trying to achieve for that year? We try to update that yearly. And then finally, I do think that there are two things that happen. One is when you're doing remote, you're missing the water cooler conversations. 
So something that we do are some fun activities. Examples, we actually sometimes have like happy hours for teams or for the entire marketing team where you can go and talk about anything. Sometimes we talk about work, sometimes we don't. We have brainstorming sessions that are set up on Zoom where we can chat about random stuff to get like new ideas. And we also do some special activities. Like for example, we did a trivia two weeks ago. We're doing name a tune or find a tune. I don't remember the name that you need to like say the name of a song. So I think like trying to do some of those things will also help with some of the remote work. Yeah, that was going to be my follow-on question is like you're building out these like aligned goals and objectives that like you can clearly document in a Google Doc or something online that everybody can access. But like having this brainstorming and like really getting engagement and alignment while people are not together, like what are some best practices that you can share about how you do that? I have two things for this. One is I'm a big believer of repetition and consistency. And the other thing I've learned is that I need to communicate and say things like the people that are listening to me are five years old. But just because I need to repeat it like very often. So things that we do is there's actually an all hands for the entire company where we go over the OKRs for the company. The week after the marketing ones, we have an all hands as well for the marketing one where we share some of those objectives. And then what I do is I actually write a bi-weekly marketing update, mentioning what are the new things that we're doing, what are the things that we stopped, and what is the progress, if any, on the goals that we have. And we also have our own missions or priorities for the year. So every time I mention anything that we're doing, I try to link it with one of the missions because that's why we're doing it. So having this idea of all hands monthly and then blog posts from me every, every two weeks is something that has helped the team be more engaged with that. One last thing that we are doing is also I'm sharing with the team in our team channel, like my top of mind every Monday. Every Monday I share my three things that are top of mind and the two asks that I have for the entire team for that week. So that has been another thing that has also helped us a lot to be more aligned among all of the teams. And then the reality is we have more meetings. Like I think when you're remote, you <laughs> definitely have more meetings than when you're in person. That's interesting. I mean, I see like now that it's been two to three weeks of this remote force working, we're definitely doing some of those things that are your everyday best practices because we've been forced to do that. Last Friday, well, actually every Friday, the marketing team were having happy hour. And last Friday we had costume happy hour. So everybody came in a costume. So it was very fun and like just trying to make it more interesting and light. And I think I was talking with my friend, she works at a different like really big company and they're doing like every other Thursday, they do a cooking class. It's a different person has been cooking and like they send out their recipe like four days before. So people can like go buy all the things at the store whenever it is they're going to make their next run to the store and whatever. It's interesting to see, but I like your trivia. Trivia for me has always been an interesting thing to play to like build team. And I've done it in person, but it would be fun to kind of like do it in Zoom and do it remotely, which would be cool. I think that for us remotely, it worked great. I liked your comment about the cook because we're actually doing that, but for our customers, we're planning to do like a virtual cook session for people who need to learn how to cook things now that they are locked in in their houses. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. But for customers. Oh, I like that. That's a good idea. So that like leads me a little bit to the question of like, what, if anything, are you doing different? I think like you recently published an article about like how do marketers think differently about the marketing mix or the budget in like this time of economic crisis. 
And I think one of the things that we've been starting to do is focus more on our customers and really reaching out to them and making sure that we've been rolling out customer marketing, but we're amplifying that and accelerating it to make sure that we're really doing everything we can to engage our customers. But tell me, what's your perspective on economic challenge and marketing? I think that the first thing that is important is doing scenario planning. We actually started doing this one month ago now. And we had like, I remember three different scenarios. One was only events until May are going to be canceled. Another one was only events until June. And the worst case scenario was everything in Q3 is going down. And we were sure that was never going to happen. We put it just in case. Unfortunately, it seems that that's going to happen considering that O'Reilly announced they're not doing conferences anymore and some of that stuff that is blowing my mind. So I think that one is planning in advance. The other one is making sure that you have multiple scenarios the other thing we did is we redid our entire budget. So we reused all of the money from events to other things that are digital. And we revealed what do we think our pipeline is going to be if we reuse the money. So with that, it's still a lower pipeline. But at least we say, like, this is the pipeline that we will get if we replace by digital. First, you did scenario planning. Then you redid your budget. Now, yeah. when you redid the budget, did you do, like, what some people will call, like, zero plan budgeting where you said like, okay, let's start over? Or did you just say like, okay, let's peel back. Like all the money from events is going to go to somewhere else. Where should it go? It was peeled back. We said all of the money from events are going to go to something else. And then once we finished that, we saw what was the pipeline number that we got to. And from there we said, okay, now we should chat with sales and finance to see if we are okay with this or if we need to do something else. And if so, what? So based off of that, we also used some assu- a lot of assumptions yeah. that we will need to adapt. Like, for example, we expect a drop in odds. I think that's happened everywhere. Like, what percentage do we expect in a drop? Or email deliverability. Like, how many people are going to open the email? So we also put some of those. For the inbound side, we actually looked at the most affected countries to see their trends in visitors and leads. And we projected that using our conversion for opportunities. Yeah. With that we got a final number of what is the pipeline that we're going to get for both inbound and outbound. We talked then to the team and we agreed that we are going to then decrease the ARR and pipeline call, at least from Q2 and Q3, assuming that in Q4, some of the events are going to go back. So we also asked for additional budgets to actually do the events that are going to be postponed from Q2 and Q3 in Q4 so that we can actually do them because we're reusing the money for other things right now. And that was the main change that we did. So it's crazy. It's the advantage of having cash in the bank. But the reality is that I think if you do have cash, this is actually a great time to try some bold new things. Like for us, the regional marketing team has more time because they're not doing that more events. So maybe they can learn new things, try new things. And I think that's something important for the teams as well. So is that one of your approaches, which is that like now that you have additional dollars to put into digital, maybe you weren't going to test like so-and-so content syndication vendor, or you weren't going to test this other thing. Are you like majority of new dollars is into like testing or are you also like amplifying things that you knew were working before? All of the new dollars are for testing new things, like absolutely all of them that we're asking. The ones that we replaced from events to other things, those are for things that we know that work but assuming conversion will go lower. So money from events is for other things, assuming conversion is lower. Additional money that we ended up asking for is basically to help us try new experiments and new things that we hadn't done before. 
Yeah, that's super exciting. It's interesting about like the repurposing of dollars, like you're saying into Q4, because different companies, especially whether you're public or you're not public, have different ways that you can move money around. We are not public, we're privately held, but we run our books like we're public so that eventually that'll be easy. And so like actually having money for events that have now pushed to like September, October, November, we had to make an agreement with finance about how they're going to move the money from one place to the other. Because if in a public company, most times you wouldn't be able to do that. That makes sense. And for us, we also had to agree with finance. At the same time, we also do a six plus 12, meaning we look at the next 12 months for budget every six months. So that means that also in July, we'll be able to adapt if we see something are changing for the last half of the year. Yeah, I guess we're kind of doing that the same way. We kind of budget for the year, then we like really plan for the six months. And then like we kind of like replan after six months just to take into account how the business is changing and things like that. So it's good. That makes sense. Okay, so you are now doing all of these tests. So question for you, which is something that we talked about in the past before the economic crisis is like you have this really big culture of testing and experimentation. And so I'm hoping you can explain to our listeners, like, how have you implemented this culture of testing? And like, what does it mean for the way that you've structured your team? I think we've started doing this probably one year ago, a bit more, that we had a bigger push on experimentation. And I think a lot of that came from repetition and consistency similar to the other ones from me and the rest of leadership, both in an in-person offsite as well as with others. But the main thing that we're trying to get people to understand is that in general, stats says that one in every 10 or 13 ideas will succeed. That means that nine to 12 of your ideas suck. So if that's the case, what we need to do is be able to not like we don't know when the good one is going to come. So we just need to be able to try new things faster and faster and faster. So that's the whole objective that we're talking about. The other thing that I think is important and something I talk with my leaders is this idea of like, if you want to be an experimentation driven culture, you cannot hold people like in a bad way for their mistakes or errors. Because after all, you need to have mistakes. You need to have errors if you want to drive experimentation. So that's been the other push where we well, were, you have to reward people for the actual experimentation, right? Like you can't just be like, oh, this person did a million dollars in pipeline all the time because they yeah. do the same thing every day and not reward the people who actually failed. Exactly. And it's, and it's more than that. Like we have a culture of like pixel perfect, like we like things to be great. So something we're starting to do now is when we start a project, we define, is it experimentation or we need pixel perfection and if it's experimentation your feedback will be less tough than others because after all it's about learnings the other thing that we did for experimentation is when we have a meeting now that we do every two weeks called the m plus one meeting it's just because m plus one is greater than n this idea of like trying new things and the whole meeting is about we have different stakeholders from the company people from product design engineering and when we want to drive an experiment that maybe is more than 10K dollars or you need additional help from other teams, you put it in this session so we can catch roadblockers or things like that before. And then once everybody's in agreement, we just go and do that experiment or test. So that has been another thing that that worked. Who is doing the test? Is it like anyone in the entire marketing team can come up with a test or do you have a test group that's like a separate group? So we have the growth team who basically is responsible for making sure that everybody in the org understands experimentation 
and knows how to define an experiment, how to define the KPI and stuff like that. But then everybody in the org can run an experiment. And they will get the help from growth where they act as a consultant to the rest of the org on how to do experimentation well. Interesting. So tell me, like, I would argue that there's no bad ideas. So it's like not dumb ideas that fail. But tell me something that you're willing to share of like an idea, obviously, you thought was worth experimenting and trying, but like, it just didn't work. And like, what did you learn from it? Like, I think that a good one for that is the first time we had an idea, we said, okay, as part of the sign-up onboarding, if we want to get more revenue or more pipeline, maybe we ask people if they want to set up a meeting. And we did an A-B test for that. And then what we saw is that there was actually a decline of signups, like people dropping in the middle of the signup when they were seeing that meeting thing and we weren't getting that many meetings. So then we dig deeper and we started actually doing phone calls with people that dropped from the signup to understand why. And first of all, when we looked at the data, we saw they were all developer roles. Secondly, when we called them, they felt that because there was the phone call thing, that it was going to be a very enterprise product. So based off of that, we reiterated on it and we said, okay, now we're going to only show the proposal to set up a meeting for roles that are director of engineering, VP of products, etc. And once we did that, we actually started getting more meetings because we were highlighting it even bigger for those roles. But then for developers, we weren't showing it anymore. So there was no drop off in signups and then it started increasing. So in the end it worked, but the first idea that we did was shit. This is a thing that I think is really important for marketers to take away and that I try to instill into my team is like, you should really set goals. And if you don't have any data to like base your goals on, that doesn't mean you should not have goals, right? So it's like, okay, I don't know, like I'm going to do a new email nurture program. Like, I don't know, like I should have a goal. Like what percentage of people are going to open the first email? What percentage of people are going to make it through? And then at the end of the day, because you have those goals, you can see like what's working, what's not working to the goals. I mean, you could set the goals based on some amount of like hypothesis that you have. And then the key thing is that when you're doing things, whether it's like an experimentation category or a hundred percent thing that you have to have, you have to be able to like learn and grow from it. And if you haven't set the goals to frame a conversation of growth, then you don't have the conversation. You're like, oh, we did it. Yeah, it's done. Okay, move forward. But if you say, hey, like we're going to have a new nurture, it's going to have a 40% open rate on the first email, 20% of people are going to make it through. And you start to see that either you're like surpassing the goal or you're missing the goal. Then you actually have a way to say like, okay, what is the learning? How do we take it into other things? 100% agree. And in our case, we actually go one level deeper where for the experiments, we said primary KPIs and then secondary ones. And the idea of the secondary ones is if the primary doesn't hit the goal, and we can look deeper into the secondary ones to learn more things from them. And that's why people start thinking about that learning from before. When people, like, we try to look for the baseline, as you said, but when you don't have a baseline, what we usually do is we ask people, okay, what is the, the worst case scenario for you? What is the best case scenario? What is the average for your mind? And we make an average of the three, and then we say, okay, like this is the number for the goal. If we don't have any data, and at least we start generating data going forward. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I think that's like, even that alone can be a part of the experiment. Like maybe you're not even doing something new, but the experiment is that you're going to like set these goals and try to hit them and then like learn the rigor of like meeting on a daily basis or a weekly basis or whatever the timeline makes sense to actually evaluate the goals and especially if it's cross-functional right like 
it could just be that like the new experiment is that you're going to more tightly align with product and with end and with sales to deliver something. And then that's like a new thing that you as a team can learn and grow and you can like build from that. 100%. And I think that's like part of that idea of like, you need to have a KPI. It's the same for teams. Like I think that for us, experimentation works because every marketing team has their own KPIs as well. And even some roles like regional marketers have a pipeline goal for themselves. Growth people, some will have a pipeline goal, some will have a leads goal, but everybody has one in their role, regardless of the experiment. And that's also what they are doing to drive experimentation. It's what is the KPI that my team is driving. Yeah, I like that. You talked about your growth team, but how do you have your team set up overall? And are there any pods where instead of everybody being remote, the actual team is together? We don't have anybody that is the actual team is actually together. Okay. So that answers that question. We do have people on specific regions, but I'll go into that. So the whole team in general, we have one team I call, it's like the content generating team that is contemplated of product marketing, but also in our case, technical content and developer relations. Because we target developers, we have the DevRel team that goes to speak at conferences and stuff like that. And the technical content team is actually a set of engineers that write content for our blog to allow us to have like five articles per week that we're shipping that are like good quality content. So all of those content-related ones are working together under one team. We then have the go-to-market team, which is a more typical outbound demand gen. Inside that, we have like partner marketing, customer marketing, regional marketing, ABM, and all of the more typical demand gen. We then have growth. Growth focuses on inbound mostly and ads, but it's more focused on the digital side of the experience. And in growth, what's interesting is that each person in growth actually owns a part of the funnel and owns a KPI for that part of the funnel. And a lot of times what we do is they are sort of the product manager. And depending on what we want to do, we create cross-functional teams where maybe the growth strategy for acquisition will work with one person from product marketing, one person from content to drive an experiment for a certain number of times. Part of growth team is also marketing engineering. So we have our own engineering team divided into growth engineering. So for experimentation, marketing engineering to drive like implementation of Marketo, Salesforce and stuff like that from the engineering side. Then we have Corpcoms. Corpcoms for us is analyst relations and public relations like in any other company. We then have brand marketing, which is a weird team, but it's a team that is composed of social media, copywriter, and brand campaigns. And it's about this idea of thinking about how we sound, brand campaigns, and things that are not pipeline related or main KPIs related, let's say. And then last one is marketing operations, which is a typical marketer, Salesforce, and helping us run the entire org. So you have your like marketing engineering team, which is more about the implementation of the tools. Operations is more like the running of the tools. Correct. Yeah. And they're in separate groups. Yes. Because marketing ops actually doesn't report to marketing. We have an- Centralized under, ops. Exactly. It's like we have the revenue ops team that is sales, CS, and marketing ops all together. Yeah. Yeah. We have the same thing, actually. Pros and cons, I think, still like doing that. But like the fact that we actually have very strong ops, to me, is the most important thing. Where it lives is not the important thing. We actually had it in marketing first and we decided to move it to be together because the main, I agree 100% with trade-offs, but the main problem for us is that sales ops was sometimes not paying attention to marketing ops or we had leads that were dropping and stuff like that. It was more important for us that sales ops and marketing ops were working together rather than marketing ops being with marketing. In the past, you were working with companies that were in the US, but you were in Argentina. Yes. 
now you're in the US, but everybody is remote. Like, what would you say over the course of your career is like one of the biggest learnings that you've had, like just in growing your career? Like, is it different since you've been in all these remote environments or like, is there something you've done differently to grow your career? That's a good question. Different things that I can think of. One is I'm a firm believer in being genuine, like being myself. I used to think like I need to have executive presence and I have to talk differently and like have an aura or something like that. And something that was interesting for me is that by being genuine, if I do skip levels or I meet with people, I actually get to learn what's really going on in VR, what things are working and what things are not working. So I believe that if you're genuine and honest, you're going to have a superpower with the team of knowing what's going on all the time. And if you know, it's easier to fix it. So I think yep. that's been one of the things that has been important. The other one is human contact. Like, even though we are remote, we do have an yearly offsite where we all meet together. We have a marketing offsite where all marketing meets together. So I think like having a place where everybody can meet in person and even more with other people, I think has been really, really important for us. And then the last one is, I think it's okay to fuck up and make mistakes. I still remember, I torture myself every time, but I still remember we spent 300K in ads, for example, that were driving signups, but then none of them were being activated. So it's like, why the fuck did we spend it? And I think that the ability to say, it's okay for me to make mistakes and don't know it all, I think has helped me with my career. I actually do have one more that I just thought of. I was scared in the beginning that I feel I've hired people that know more than me. At the beginning, I was scared. Like, no, not all of the ideas are going to be mine or something like that. And I think that being able to focus on hiring people who are better than you on specific things is what's going to drive your team. And you need to be okay with your help. It's more about getting things done, emotional support. In a lot of times, that's more useful than just being able to tell them what to do and why. Yeah. And I think that's like a growth thing from just generally like your career, right? Like, I mean, I'm a firm believer in hiring people that are smarter than me, that know how to do things more than me. I like to know how they work and like have that sort of one-to-one connection with people to understand what they're doing. But I really believe we're only going to be better if I hire the best people. And that's going to, the older that I get, the more like there's going to be all these things I don't even know that have like come up and you just have to augment the team. 100%. But I think it's hard in the beginning. Like I was feeling this like, all ideas have to be mine and stuff like that, which then I think as you grow, you start to learn that that doesn't make sense. Yeah. I think it's also becomes hard to like have that authenticity that you said of like approachability and like being really genuine and real. If like you're so focused on like, it's my idea, then it comes across as like a big ego thing too. 100% agree. Okay, so we started the session by talking about the fact that Auth0 is marketing to a totally different technical audience than Drift, which is much more marketing and sales. And so I'm sure we have a lot of people. It's been a growing category to market to developers and technical buyers in the past 10 years. So what would you say is unique about marketing to this group of people? There's now a lot of chatter about this idea of product-led growth that makes me feel like really happy about it. And I think that's for developers specifically, it's even more product-led growth driven because it's like, it's not just a dashboard, but it's the API, the documentation and everything. And I think what's interesting for us is I really like this idea of doing bottoms up and top down. So bottoms up with the user. And in our case, because it's a developer, I always say that a dev has a very high bullshit sniffer, meaning they don't like to be told like bassy words. They don't like to be marketed to. So with developers, I think it's a lot about education and them coming to you. 
So it's more about talking to them, learning what are their habits and their interests, and based off of that, they will eventually come. To give you an example, our competition, for example, Okta, in SEO was targeting single sign-on in the beginning. And then when we talked to developers, they were like, single sign-on? I don't know what that is. That is the definition for authentication. And when we asked them, when do they search or look for authentication, they were like, authentication is boring. I don't give a shit about it. So I only look for it if I'm implementing and I get stuck. So that's when, okay, we should start building content and talking about them. So it was more of a, they come to us. And then we actually started doing the more typical B2B dimension only two years ago. And the company is seven years now. So it's crazy that we started very recently. And in there, we do do the more typical webinar, direct mail, etc. But what really helps is that now we have developers that have tried it out going to their bosses. And now their bosses already knows of it because of a direct mail or a webinar. So the combination of the bottoms up and top down means that if we think of the availability bias, the cognitive bias, people will always be more open to using a product because they both have heard about it. Yeah, I think that's something that we've been starting to work on as well. And I've seen that happen like very successfully in other companies. It's interesting that you mentioned like direct mail for your VPs of IT, maybe like CIO, which is obviously sounds like a different tactic than what you're doing with the developers. Are there specific tactics that you find work well for like one top down versus bottom up? And are there some that you use with both? Like for us, we actually do a lot of qualitative interviews to understand their habits, and then we decide what to do based off of that. So to give you a few examples, like developers in particular, when they want to implement something, they will look for open source projects, maybe in GitHub. So we decided to sponsor GitHub projects in exchange for a, in the readme, they put, if you don't want to do it yourself, use out zero. So it's sort of an ad, but not really an ad. So it can't be blocked. And it was based on their feedback on what they were doing during the day. Other things we've done, for example, for developers that worked is you can use OutZero with multiple technologies, React, Angular, whatever, and multiple ways of logging in, Facebook, Twitter. So we created one landing page for each combination. We have 5,000 landing pages. Oh, my you God. Drive two, like between zero and two signups. But if you aggregate all of them, that's still a lot. So that's been one that I, I think worked well for them. Direct mail does work for both, but it's different. Like uh, for an exec, maybe we do an iPad or a tile or something like that. For developers, it's always swag. It's stickers, T-shirts, or something similar to that. And then the other thing that has worked for both is webinars, but we had to call it differently. Like a developer wouldn't join a webinar, but they would join an online meetup because it's a meetup, but it's online. For the others, we call it <laughs> webinar, even though it's the same. So it's fascinating, for example, how sometimes just naming of the same tactic will make it work for both. But if it's the same name, it just didn't work in the past. Well, and you probably don't really want to have a webinar that has like your top end buyer type people and the developer anyway. So if you have different names, it also helps you to like keep them separated in terms of who you end up in having in the audience. 100%. Yeah, I think, you know, every company has like their own version of that. I think one of the things that we see at Drift is like we need to do marketing both to the person who eventually is going to use Drift day to day and to the buyer. And they might not be the same person. And so you have to think, I think all the time, like what channels are you using? What marketing are you using for like which parts of the buying funnel as well? That makes sense. And to me, what's fascinating about Drift is that you need buy-in from sales and marketing. So you have to work with two at the same time. And that, to me, is the fascinating part about Drift. 
that's the reason I joined Drift because I love that. I love the fact that Drift forces a conversation between sales and marketing because eventually if you're not having a proactive conversation between sales and marketing, you're going to have a hard time making your revenue growth numbers. And so I love the fact that Drift actually forces you to have a conversation about that because I think it makes a company healthier, not just like in terms of what Drift can offer to them, but in terms of the long term benefit of having sales and marketing at the table together. I agree. 100%. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been a great chat and I love to wrap up my podcast interviews with the same question. And that question is like, what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned along the way in your career? I think if I had to pick one is this idea of having the main KPI for marketing be pipeline and not leads or other things. What helped with that is when we were having leads or something like that, we used to have this big discussion with sales, like, we're giving you leads and MQLs. And they were like, no, the MQLs are shit, so we can't convert them. And I think that if you get to pipeline, that means that it's a real opportunity. It's a sales qualified opportunity with an ARR, a possible ARR. So then it's undisputable that it was driven or not driven by marketing. So I think that if you have a pipeline and you can correctly measure that that pipeline is driven by marketing, by who and why, I think that's... On one side, it creates a better conversation and discussion between sales and marketing, and it means we're both on track. And on the marketing side, everybody knows that their main objective is pipeline. So whether they get it from signups or people clicking and talk to sales, like I don't give a shit, it's more about pipeline is the objective. So I think that it helps alignment in marketing, but also with sales. Do you think there's a risk on that, that certain parts of marketing maybe don't see how they attach to pipeline? Like, let's say like your comms team and like the product marketers and things like that. So for product marketing, for example, we do assign them to pipeline because what we do is we check the pipeline from the integrated campaigns that they are running. So we check the influence number for the core comms team. It is true. But for them, for example, we have other KPIs and they know that they are influencing the pipeline, even though they don't have a KPI for pipeline. You started by talking about like the importance in a remote environment of having like clear communications and OKRs and all those things. So that's part of where you set up those goals and objectives. Yes. So what we have is every team has the KPIs, like what we're going to measure. And they have KPIs for the year and for the quarter, regardless of the OKRs. And those are like main things. But then the things that we want to drive that are either different or the pipeline or growth, those are in OKRs. We have, I would say, we do OKRs weirdly because we don't have just metrics. We sometimes put projects or things that we want to do. So it's weird like OKRs in our sense that it's some is pipeline related, but then we also have projects in there. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, you're basically driving a conversation about the priority for the quarter and where you want people to put their effort. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's excellent. I'm a big believer in having marketing signed up for at least pipeline. I mean, I think in the end of the day, it's very healthy if you sign up even for the like end revenue. But I think on like the monthly, weekly, day-to-day management with the team, it's important to measure to pipeline because like deals can take a while to go from sales qualified all the way down to the revenue. And there's not as much that you can do in marketing to like really drive that. So it's important to tie people to the health of the company, but into the thing that they themselves can influence. 100%. And for the pipeline, so they know like we can influence, we have a rule of when we freeze it. Because as you're saying, the ARR variance of the SQO is going to change all the time. So we say, okay, after 30 days, most of them are like near the number. So everybody knows that their pipeline objective will keep on changing up to 30 days after the SQO creation. Makes sense. Yeah, because the deal size changes and things like that. Correct. 
Excellent. Well, I'm excited that you're lined up to pipeline because I think that that builds a healthy company and you guys are clearly growing like a weed. So you have a very healthy company, but likely it'll continue as long as marketing and sales are both signed up for pipeline together. 100% agree. I'm excited. It's been a crazy ride, but it's been a fun ride as well. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me. This has been a great conversation. I think people will be able to take a lot of learnings out of this. And for the audience, if you really like part of the conversation, please send feedback to me in LinkedIn. And Gonto, if people have questions for you, where should they reach out in LinkedIn or somewhere else? You could reach out either on Twitter, big fan of Twitter, mgonto, or you can go to my website, gon.to. So basically gonto, but with a dot in the middle where I have a form and you can reach out for questions as well. Thank you very much for inviting. It was a fun conversation. If you love CMO conversations and you want to help us, please vote up in your favorite podcast source. Give us five stars and make sure to share all of the recordings that you love with your friends. The more people we have, the more feedback we have in terms of what it is you want to hear, the better. And I'm always looking for recommendations on people to bring onto the show. So if you have that as well, I'm happy to have conversations with people, big companies, small companies, the industry doesn't matter. I think there's always something that you can learn. Thank you for joining us today with Gonto from from Auth0. Thank you. Bye.